Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm good, Andrew. I'm, I'm good. I, I should start by saying it was lovely to get all the messages from the animals. Um, just giving their best wishes for me soon to become the new discipline daddy. And um, uh, thank you so much for the kind words. It it, um, it always bowls me over when, when people are nice to me. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe it either. I, which is incredible because I think I'm, I'm an all right person. But e- even still, you know, I, I always appreciate it a lot. And, um, and I had this weird kind of daydream the other day when the Washington spirit midfielder, uh, Marissa Sheva declared for the Republic of Ireland or she was what well, she had already declared, but she was called into the, into the Republic of Ireland squad. And, you know, it was through her mother, her mother's parents are from, I think, Donegal and Tyrone and she was called into the squad. And I like, this is the kind of flights of fancy I'm going on now, not like practical stuff, not like preparing my home for another human being to come in. I'm thinking about God. When she, when my daughter has this decision to make, who's she going to declare for? I've already decided she's yeah. going to be good enough. Even though genetically there's a chance, a real big chance that I'm going to give her the worst knees in North America. It's a big decision though. You got to start thinking about it now. You're right. <laughs> it's important. And I've, I've come up would, with would, it. Would it hurt you if she declared for the US? Hurt me. I would be so proud. Tremendously okay. proud. However, born and raised in the United States, as I expect she will be, um, and, uh, you know, with such a link to Ireland through her disciplined daddy, mm-hmm. to, to, go, to go back and then play for the land of my birth? Oh, oh boy. Can I tell you what I'm, um, what I'm quietly rooting for? <laughs> what? For her to play, for her to declare for Ireland play play three games and then <laughs> and then switch allegiances pull at Declan Rice and see oh. what kind of position that puts old daddy JJ in oh man could yeah. you imagine could you imagine you know what i can't imagine though andrew what this this is a bel- a belter of a podcast i'm going to yeah i know this podcast. this podcast i'm so excited for this podcast before we get into it though while you quickly while you're talking about parenting and all that stuff i i have a quick one for you okay. so as you know our listeners don't but as you know um, so my wife is, is in Spain right now for, she's left you. yeah, she, that's right. She's taken a Spanish lover and, uh, absconded. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what, Hey, if, if you want to be Declan Rice, I, I, I definitely don't want that to happen to you because I am not dealing with you crying. I can't have that. No, no, no. Where she's, a, she's a teacher. She's a, a choral director, music teacher in a high school near here. And every other year, the high school chorus does like an extravagant trip somewhere around the world it's it's actually amazing and this year uh they are in spain for eight days and you know that's fine like that, that's awesome for her it's a it's a little bit of an undertaking for me working and and with two kids back here we do have some help but um but before she left just like standard wife going away for longer than ever before conversation um i was just like you know before you go like <laughs> is there anything that I should know for the kids? And, and her answer to me, she goes totally earnestly and genuinely. I say, is there anything I, I should know while you're away with the kids? And she goes, 
um, you know, like keep them safe, keep them healthy. Oh, oh okay. Let me get a pen and write this down. Like, like I didn't know to like, like that isn't like the most obvious thing that like I needed to be instructed to keep them safe and healthy. Oh, I meant God. like, do they have any play dates? Do they have like, you know, like an art class or something like that, that I need to know about or like, you know, for lunchtime, do I need to give them money for, for school? Not keep them safe and healthy. Like I needed to be handed that in an instruction. I want to see that on a sticky note, Andrew, for the kids, one, keep safe Two, keep healthy. Lots yeah. of love, Amanda. <laughs> Let me just go and get a pen and paper. I, I thought we were just going over the broad stuff. I didn't know that we were getting into the minutia of childcare. <laughs> How inattentive right. would you have had to have been over these last few years? For you to miss out on the keeping safe and healthy part, right? Of, of right. Like if really. she had, if she had delivered that to me, and and I received it like it was a revelation, like, like I was just like, oh, I have to do that. Oh, God. the o- the only way you can receive that information and for it to be like appropriate information to give to someone is you're wearing a NASCAR hat, swigging some Johnny Walker straight from the bottle. And like wearing a T-shirt saying no fat chicks. That is literally, you know, and a cigarette coming out of one side of your mouth. That's the right. only way I could see that. Yeah. One. Now, having said all that, I have failed. They've been juggling knives for the last several days. But Well, listen, I don't want to go into Luke's record. Luke's record on this podcast is well known by thousands of people, which is yeah. not the best start in life that his father could have handed them to give that amount of information away. So, you know, when you say juggling knives, I go, yeah, that's a crazy idea. Luke could do that. Yeah. Luke could do that. Yeah. Luke's more um, likely to throw the knives at passersby. <laughs> He's a good boy. How dare you? Uh, He's uh, a good... he, he assaulted me. And <laughs> yeah. you tried to. Well, he like, tried. tried to eat dinner. So, yeah. Fortunately for you, his aim isn't quite there yet, but. A year from now, it's, it could be a, a year from now. Story. He's going to be absolutely lacing balls down the field at me. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what, let, let's go from that to um, to Chelsea, to Chelsea, JJ. The segue <sighs> there was, hey, here's someone who uh, probably isn't in a healthy position and isn't very safe right now, Graham Potter. So uh, I, I was going to go with, what did you say about Luke hasn't gotten off to the best start in life? That feel, That feels harsh, but I was going to go from that to <laughs> Graham Potter hasn't gotten off the best start at Chelsea. Ooh. Yeah, seamless and professional, especially when you then talk about your transitions afterwards. That's the most professional thing you can do. Hey, listen, um, we put we we break all the rules here. We're tearing down the fourth wall, man. That's right. Uh, let's talk about this because it, it. we've said for a couple of weeks now, I feel like I've uttered the same sentence of this feels like it's getting serious for Graham Potter, which I guess now means like what degree of seriousness are we are we now reaching? I, I was just kind of scanning through um some different articles and features at, at various websites. I saw Rob Green has called the situation unmanageable for Potter. Uh, Chris Sutton <laughs> spoke about it what? saying <laughs> Chris Sutton spoke about it saying, quote, with so many players coming in, he's uncertain on his starting lineup. So he is chopped and changed and you never get continuity when you do that. Um, it's worth pointing out Chelsea have spent over half a billion pounds in the last two transfer windows. So Lord knows that like the canvas of what he has to work with, there's, there's just so much in front of him. And I think this process of Potter trying to like Chris Sutton says, chop and what did he say? Chop and change yeah. um, to, to figure out what his 11 are plus all the injuries he's been dealt. This is, I mean, in terms of like, I, I don't know. You, you want to say that like, 
it, it's a hard hand for a new manager to be dealt. Now, is that a thing that a manager of a club like, I don't know, like Crystal Palace, like would Patrick Vieira hear that and be like, your club has spent half a billion pounds for you over the past two mm. years. I'll save my tears for someone else. I mean, or can a manager of even a club that doesn't spend like that commiserate with what Potter is going through? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think there can be a certain amount of commiseration, but I'm 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 drawn back. You know, forget about the the half a billion spent because that was spent by largely by Todd Bowley, like in his in his now we understand departed role as some sort of sporting director. But I think it's more the fact that, do you remember what Arsene Wenger said to us? It was probably the biggest thing that stuck with me from our interview with him there in, in, in 2021. Um, and Wenger, we, I think you asked the pertinent question, well, Arsene, how long does it take to, to kind of get your ideas over, to get your team into a kind of a rhythm or a culture or a style of play that you want? And he said, what did he say, Andrew? Oh man, it was a really short amount of time. Like, was it a month? Two, no, three months? He said, he said, I think he said three months. And after that, you're in, you're in trouble. Yeah. He said, I, he basically said, if you don't, if you don't have them after three months, you'll never have them. Now you, you use the word process there. And I've, I've thought that, you know, Potter is a process kind of manager that like he's going to get players to do like very specific things to play, play in a very specific style of way. And it is especially when they're i would say not his signings like he would never have gone to 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 front load the the team like this and and maybe not pay attention to other parts of it like you just know he wouldn't but that actually doesn't matter because at full time at Stamford Bridge the people that really matter were making a big song and a dance about him and booed him as vociferously as i've heard anyone booed at Stamford Bridge and that is saying something and the truth about it is with Chelsea fans they don't really care about the style of play or building anything. Like, they don't. The culture that they've had for 20 years is you come in and you win. And when you stop winning, you go. And so there's it's it's Bowley and the board who, who seem to have wanted to change this and, 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 and build something longer term. And he's just running out of road with the fans. Now, I was listening to, or, or I was reading, uh, Pat Nevin in the Daily Mail, and he is, he's hoping that Potter's given time, uh, writing that you don't turn around a super tanker in a bathtub, um, meaning like that this is going to take some time and he needs some road, or, well, not road for a super tanker. He needs some water, some ocean to do it. Um, but you don't get that at Chelsea, or do you? Like, well, how much? That- we don't know yet because this is new ownership. Like, and I don't think Bowley thought they would be tenth with five wins in seventeen games in the Premier League. I honestly don't think the the board would have thought that. Um, and, and if anything, Pat- I, I wonder if that position in the table actually, in a weird way, buys Potter time. Like, if they were, let's say that this was happening, but they were fifth, where you could almost reach out and touch a Champions League place but you weren't sure that this manager was going to be able to get them to do it. Then maybe you feel the urgency, but like we're almost at a point now where it's like, well, this season's lost. So maybe it's worth it to just keep some stability and try to follow the arsenal model with Mikel Arteta and and let this guy cook a little bit and try to find his way through this. And then we'll, we'll just reset next year and hopefully he'll be good. I know, but the general perception with Arteta was Andrew, you have to give him time. And the only real time I felt 
he Arteta was properly under pressure was at the end of last season, actually. That's when I thought, oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people talking when they blew the chance to get fourth. There's a lot of people talking here that this might not be the guy. But Arteta came in and at least he could deliver a trophy early on, the FA Cup. Um, and, and they were prepared to give him time because Arsenal were, I would say, the perception of Arsenal was much, much worse when Arteta walked into the club than the perception of Chelsea. I, I That's would, true. And then Pat, Pat also wrote in the Daily Mail piece about, well, you know, uh, Pep needed time and, and Pep got abuse at the start. Like, I mean, he did, but he finished. What did he finish? Second or third in his first season? Whatever that was. And it was never a case that we will get rid of him after a few months. Um, so I don't, I don't know if, if I agree with what Pat was saying there. But, but again, just look at the game for a second because um, like Chelsea were thwarted several times by some really good Southampton uh, defending, including a brilliant piece from uh, Roman Perro on the line in like the 70th minute. And, the same um, was true both ways, though. Chelsea cleared a Southampton attempt off the line in the first 12 that's, minutes. That's the other thing. There was the, the, arm, the Walcott, when he came on, found Armstrong. Um, this is late in the game, even. And then there was a breakaway by uh, Mara, uh, the same Mara who nearly kicked the head off Aspilicueta. Yeah. But um, so, 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 like, Southampton did have chances too. Um, and it was that man again. I think we have to give some, some chat and some flowers to James Ward Prowse with another brilliant free kick to get it up and over. The backspin was fantastic. Uh, and to leave Aritza Balaga. In in uh, in just with no chance, and let me say for ASMR fans who love the net rigging when a goal is scored, there's a double pleasure for you here. First of all, it's the ball hitting the net rigging, and then the sound of Aritza Balaga kicking the post in frustration because he didn't get close to it. Let's take a listen. Warcraft set. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ, I love that. Every bit of that. Um, I would advise everyone to go and watch the Premier League production where they they visit with uh, James Ward-Prowse at the Southampton Training Centre. I don't know, was it last year or whenever it was? And they go. he goes through all the different ways he can strike it. He's a better free kick taker than David Beckham was because he has more... I don't, I'm not saying he's a better crosser. I, I'm not saying that I thought Beckham was the best crosser I'd probably ever seen. But there's just so much more like he can, he can do it in so many different ways. And this was a different one to say the famous one, long range one against wolves. He's, he struck it in a different manner. He is so much in his locker. It, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, he's, I mean, look, you know, my thoughts on him are, are well documented. I, uh, I love this guy. I can't get enough of his YouTube compilations and the, like the video that you talked about of, of him showing how he does it. It's all so textbook um, in in watching him go about this skill that he has. But, you know, I, I did want to mention something about him um, because I feel like he's he's almost in danger of creating this sort of like, well, he's just some freak specialist kind of perception about him, which, by the way, is true. <laughs> 
But like, I feel like that's already happened. Right. That's already happened. But hear me out here. To me, he's more Steph Curry than he is Kyle Korver. And I'll explain that by saying like Kyle Korver would come in, hit a few threes, do nothing else productive. But like he was just a freak at that skill. Whereas like Steph Curry comes in, hits a few threes, but then like drives to the basket, scores at the rim, like great pass to Clay Thompson in the corner. Like he's the greatest shooter of all time, but he also has other stuff in his bag that make him one of the greatest players of all time. Whereas Corver, you have to end at greatest shooter. James Ward Prowse, like he's created this image for himself that like he just he's a free kick specialist and that's what he does. And he's the best we've ever seen. But like because of that. Like this, uh, the other stuff gets lost. And so I, I, against Chelsea, two key passes, 85% successful pass rate, four interception, uh, interceptions in a game where that was going to be important for them to try to defend and win back possession. Like he's, he is more than what meets the eye. I really think he's a legitimately like a, a special player who happens to be elite, like, like historically elite at one skill in particular. But I really think he's, I just I love the guy. I love his his all around game, and I and I'm blown away, obviously, by the one skill that he has that that is arguably the greatest we've ever seen. Yeah, um, I, I have to check, and I and I will check. But he was what two goals behind Beckham now. So what is he? One goal. I think he's, he's one be... back. Yeah, he's one back now. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, just just brilliant. I I just love the range. You are right though. The perception of him has kind of hardened because when you hear England supporters talk about him. You know, he doesn't make squads or he's not he's not going to he's nowhere near starting in that English midfield. Yeah. And a lot of it is they say, well, he just does one thing really well, which, as you pointed out, is probably unfair. And the fact he's in a relegation candidate now does not really help things. Yeah. But I'll say this. If they go down, look, if he wants to stay with them and try to bring him back up, they'll love that. But like if they go down, I mean, how many of the top six in England right now? in the Premier League, how many do you think would be knocking down Southampton's door to get him? I think half of them. I, I, uh, I think, I think those clubs would be interested in having him. I think so. But I, I, I like, he's not, he wouldn't be a guaranteed starter for a lot of those. That's clubs. fair. And he's 28. True. Oh, so, um, so if they're going to like, if they, you're right, they have to take him now, if they're going to take him and you know, I mean, there's, there's something of the, of the vibe if not the fact of of a of a Matthew Letizia about him a little bit, you know, Southampton player all his career, um, you know, like you said, if he if they stay up, he'll stay there. I'm sure of it. Um, like, would, would if, you pay? Would you pay thirty? Let's say thirty five mil for a twenty eight year old who's the maybe the greatest free kick taker we've seen in the history of the Premier League. Sure, why not? I mean, I'm I'm in love with the guy and what he does. So yes, yes, I would. <laughs> But I am not a man that should be let run a football club. That's fair. That's true. Uh, one final note here to close out on this. We'll circle back to Chelsea. You mentioned before, JJ, about the uh, the response from the supporters at the full-time whistle. And just, I mean, the boos were deafening. That's what they um, are. That's what they've always been, though. I, just... I, I wonder about this, though. Like, yes, it, it doesn't, it's bad to lose the support. Like, it, it's bad to lose the fans. Um, but I do think... That what is also true is that of all the categories that you can win back or lose, I do think that the fans are the easiest to win back. Like if you told me the, that he he's lost the locker room, then I'd say now we got a, now we got a problem. Or if he's lost the board, then uh, may, they may never trust him again. I do think fans 
like you say, they just want to win. And mm. like, if suddenly they start doing it, like if they turn around the one goal deficit against Borussia Dortmund and that's in the Champions League with a great performance in the second leg at home, then like the smoothing over process maybe starts to begin. And I think fans can be won back easier than than some of the other categories, but we'll have to see. Um, but I mean, ultimately, like you know, I want to I want to say, oh, the fans like they need to be patient. They need to understand two wins in their last fourteen games after mm-hmm. they've spent what they've spent. Yeah, you know, like they they've just lost to Southampton, who are bottom. They couldn't beat West Ham. They couldn't beat Forest. Two games against Fulham, a draw and a loss, in danger of getting knocked out of the Champions League against Dortmund. Um, you know, the, the two wins in that stretch were Palace and Bournemouth. Chell, uh, like, that's just, that's not enough. Like, any team that they come up against who is, like, around their caliber or even a little bit worse, they're they're losing or drawing. And so, and I, like, if you're a fan base that's watched all these great players come in, and, you know, a fan isn't going to sift through the nuance of, like, getting chemistry developed. Like, they just see world-class talent wearing their team's shirt, and they see them losing to Fulham. Like, you know, after after three months of that, I I can understand a fan's frustration. Yeah, and I think as well they look at say a club like Manchester United put in a new manager, albeit it didn't start well, and now they're motoring, you know, and yeah. they haven't spent even within the the same zip code as Chelsea. Yeah. So so yeah, there's all those things. Anyway, it didn't start well. You hearing you say that? Remember back in the the early days of the season, JJ, when uh, a certain member of this podcast had placed him on the hot seat. Uh, I, I'm sorry. What a time that was. Yeah, I, he he was very, he. Remember what that seat was like after Brentford. Uh, that seat was steaming. It what was, was it last week that I said it was on your Mount Rushmore of bad takes? I've already forgotten. Um, oh, oh, man, Mount Rushmore of bad takes. And did, I said did it was I, the, the George Washington of it? Oh, did I even try and defend it? No, no. You invited more. You wanted to hear what your other ones had been. I, I would yeah. say that you putting Ten Hag on the hot seat after three games belongs on the Mount Rushmore, and and that is still open. I'll, I'll, I'll that could be Lincoln. Tw- I'll put up a, <laughs> I'll put up a tweet about this one. JJ's worst ever takes, and don't give me opinions or things you didn't like to hear because right. they were true. I don't want any of that. Things that turned out to be absolutely wrong. Yeah, horrifying even. And if and if I don't hear from anyone, I'll just uh, take it as another. Uh, feather in my cap. Uh, let's go from Chelsea now. Let's look at the top of the table, which is uh, tipped back in uh, in Arsenal's favor. I think you'd have to say after this weekend, and this might be how it is the rest of the season, where like this week to week, this it, this could be fun to watch this kind of fluctuate back and forth. I, um, I would, Ar- yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I would suggest that Arsenal would like it to be a little more conclusive. And a little less nervy as that, because we're talking about crossbars at either end of the field making the difference. I, I've named this one the Thriller at Villa. You are a wordsmith, mm-hmm. and you don't get to the very top of your profession, senior executive vice president, as you have, without without that kind of wordsmithery. Yeah, yeah, you're right. My my goal when it's all said and done is for people to not even remember. The Muhammad Ali fight that the the thriller Manila that that's not even a they don't even know what that is because the it'll be replaced by the thriller at Villa. I, that's not going to happen. But uh, listen, you dream big, my friend. And it was a thriller. It was a it was a really really fun game, uh, and it was a great game for people who think maybe fusty old cornflakes who didn't really enjoy 
men who get awards and then use the awards as phallic imagery. I mean, let's let's be honest. There's a large population of soccer fans that loved seeing what happened to that guy in that situation that Uh, just loved it. Emiliano Martinez, we are talking about. Uh, We're talking about the fact that the rarest of things, a, a shot off the underside of the crossbar, whacks him in the head and then goes into the net. And as if to compound everything, uh, I don't think Unai Emery wanted him to go forward for the final corner kick that led to the Martinelli goal. Mm-hmm. But he vacated his goal. I mean, the ball never went anywhere close to him. And Arsenal broke excellently, I should say. Um, and uh, rolled it, Martinelli rolled it into an empty net. Although with Martinelli, he had his hands out celebrating with the ball rolling in front of him. Don't do it. Roll that ball into the net, then go absolutely mental. But I just have this vision, and I've said it before. Um, it was a French uh, player, a rugby player. I think it was Dominici. I can't remember. And he's he's in. He's in for the line. And don't forget, in rugby, you have to have full control of the ball. It has to touch the ground mm-hmm. behind the line, right? And he's running in, and I think he, he starts his kind of maybe a fist pump or something, drops the ball. Drops the ball, I mean, you could be describing Don Beebe and Leon Lett. You know, yeah. he's running down the sideline celebrating. What the hell you were talking about? Oh, do you, are you not familiar with with what Leon Lett did in the Super Bowl against the Bills? No. Google it. Okay. I mean, they won fifty-two to seventeen, so like it didn't matter. But like, it's it's the only thing that anyone remembers from that game was like a, a hugely that- embarrassing moment for Leon Lett of the Cowboys. I can't believe you've never seen this. You've lived in this country for for sixty-five years. Uh, in the Pantheon of Pain for the Bills, which 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 Super Bowl was this? Uh, this was their third straight. Uh, no, this was their the final defeat, the fourth oh, of the, the Dallas one. Yeah, the second. I believe this was the second Dallas loss. Oh, okay, all right, okay. I looked that up. I probably. I mean, it's epic. Yeah, okay. I'll look it up. Look it up. I bet you've seen it. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, but a, a hugely entertaining game. Incredible, the twists and turns of this one. And and ever since City's win against Arsenal last week, I mean, it just feels like there's so much at stake now with every goal that is scored in an Arsenal game, whether for or against. Uh, and, you know, 4-2, the final here, Arsenal coming from behind. Um, incredibly thrilling. And I wonder, I wonder how this gets spun if you're an Arsenal fan. Because... You know, you can choose to look at this however you want. Like the the positive side of this, which is the side I would hope Arsenal fans would look at it, is I mean, look, you're in a title race. I don't care who the opponent is. You, you enjoy this. This was an incredibly fun win, a dramatic win. Showed a lot of guts to come back uh, on the road. It's just no game is easy in this league. So like, yeah, just celebrate it. Like, what what an incredibly fun day for Arsenal, and I would hope that's how their fans see it. Because the other side of it is, well, like, boy, they had themselves in what has been a rough stretch. They had themselves backed up against the wall against Aston Villa, a team where if they're a title contender, you'd like to think that they can handle that. Um, and so, when the dust settles from from the joy that you feel after winning a game like that, are you are you are you left with a little bit of concern that well, we got away with this one, we got the three points, but is there still reason to be concerned here about the state of this team? Yeah, I, I, I go with what you say. I think you take the first part of it. You say, what a great win, a memorable win. And considering what happened to Manchester City, a, an important win. Um, after a month of whittling away your lead, you're now back in the lead. 
and you can put midweek behind you somewhat. You can forget about midweek uh, and the defeat at home to City. I, I would say this, though. Um, I'm not going to criticize Arsenal for like a a late, late win or a, you know, a tight win in a championship race. Because I remember Liverpool's trip to Villa uh, in their championship winning year in 1920. And like Liverpool were 1-0 down until the last 10 minutes. And it was a Sadio Mane goal and an Andy Robertson goal, that rarest of birds, mm-hmm. that that meant Liverpool got over the line. And everyone afterwards, that after that game, were like, that is championship form, that. Going away, being 1-0 down and, and scraping out the three points, coming home with the full amount. However, yeah. Arsenal will want way more controlling games, way more controls. That was far too, far too open. And they, they'll want to have... Like, basically what I'm saying, you can't keep doing that every week. No, no. You, you can't do that every week. But for now, you take that, you embrace it, and you just take the joy, and you hope that it's, you know, a turn back to form, to the form that they were in um, before the last four or five games. I guess. Yeah. I just worry a little bit about the state of their defending. Like, you saw, you know, mistakes from Tomoyasu, Gabriel last week. Saliba yeah. wasn't great in this one. Like no, JJ Arsenal haven't had a clean sheet since January fifteenth in the in the North London derby against Tottenham. Yeah, since then six games, ten goals conceded. Um, so you just worry about that. Like it's gonna pl- like you concede goals by making mistakes at the back. Now you're placing a, a bigger burden on an already somewhat fatigued front line. Like Eddie and Ketia, for however well he's playing, like you know some of his missed chances. You wonder. Has he started every game since the World Cup, has he not? Yeah. So, like he's got to be feeling the fatigue a little bit. I think you see some of that in maybe some of his missed headers. Um, so it's just like there's a ripple effect if your defense is making these kinds of mistakes. So well, if we're gonna they talk... survived it over the weekend, but you're right. It's tough, it's tough to sustain this. If we're gonna talk about misses, Martin Odegaard. That one he drags past the post, Andrew, after a really good move. Yeah. You can't. They they literally cannot afford that again in a tight game. I think I texted you after that, did I not? Yeah, I think you did. Miss of the, one of the misses of the season. I think, I, yeah, I think you did actually. Yeah, that was that was painful. And at that point, they were losing, and you thought they're not coming back. This is another. This is another. Um, another. I was going to say blip, but another crushing blow to their attempt to win the title. But sitting here now, uh, it's a lot rosier in the garden, considering what happened at the city ground. Unbelievable. 1-1, one, one. Uh, and, and I don't know that I can sit here and tell you that City played poorly. They didn't. I mean, Lord knows the chances they had. Holland missing some chances that I, were astounding. I mean, the first the first chance you could say, all right, you did well, it, it, it comes back off the crossbar. But when it comes back off the crossbar, you're expecting the net to absolutely bulge, and he blazes it over. And he had this face where he kind of pursed his lips and shook his head as if, well, now that's very irregular. That doesn't happen regularly. And it doesn't. And um, and that was huge. I mean, I should say that, again, if we're handing out the bouquets of flowers, like Forrest's goal was pretty great. And um, and what a point that is for them in their kind of resurgence. Um, uh, just one of those... When, when Bernardo Silva scored that goal, Andrew, you honestly thought, well, City are going to just kick on here and it could be three or four. It just, just didn't fall for them. Yeah. And then Chris Wood scores the equalizer, eighty third minute or whatever it was, and 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 the next thing you know, it's it's dropped points. And what a absolute gift for Arsenal! Total Incredible. gift. 
Yeah, and something that you don't really expect from Pep's version of Manchester City. They don't. This doesn't usually happen with them. Do you know um, who had a good game, Andrew? For who? For Forrest. Uh, tell me. Taylor Navas. Well, he's had a few of those. I know we're like getting to the point where, well, Nottingham Forest just basically signed as many players as they could and hoped that, that something would form out of this. And when you saw Navas going there, you're like, ah, what a what a keeper, what a career. But like, what's the idea here? And whoever signed him, like the, the, the two games I've seen him in so far has been really good. Can I... You're going to have, this could be a moment where I expose myself as having a, a soccer pea brain. Okay. So I'll need you to check me and, and let me know if this is pea brain stuff. But like, so we're sitting here talking about Chelsea, all the players they brought in. It's going to take a manager time, chemistry, mm. yada, yada, yada. With Forrest, we could have a similar conversation, but then you bring up Kaylor Navas. Am I wrong to think that like a lot of that does not apply to the goalkeeper? That like whatever chemistry you're talking about and styles of play, like a goalkeeper to basically just get in net, save the ball, distribute the ball, get right. on with it. Unless it's a case where he's not Ederson, right? I, well, he's not pinging forty-five yard passes, like, or he's not like if if it's if it's the case that De Gea will eventually have to be moved on, I would say by Ten Hag, because he's making Ten Hag modify the way they play out of the back because he's not that kind of player with his feet. But generally, Andrew. Generally speaking, Forest have a fairly rudimentary style of play. Like there's a couple of times when I was watching the highlights and I was like, look at all those red shirts in the exact width of the 18-yard box. It's like, how could you find when Bernardo Silva scored, I was like, how did he even find a gap? <laughs> um so I'm just saying that like when we're talking about this stuff, bringing in a high-priced goalkeeper, the idea of chemistry for me need not apply. Uh, I'll 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 buy that somewhat, yeah. So maybe not pea brain, lima bean brain, a little yeah. bigger than a pea. One one of the bigger, one of the bigger legumes. Is that a legume? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm afraid oh, no. to. Uh, oh no! Now we're going to get the horticultural experts. Yeah, to tell us we don't know anything. Uh, quickly, abort, abort. Move on to next topic. Um, we go from the uh, the race at the top of the table. Quick thoughts on the race for top four, because that also swung a little bit this past weekend with Newcastle falling to Liverpool, Tottenham shutting out West Ham. Um, good performance from Tottenham. I feel like I, I don't know if I jinxed a couple things the other day in my kind of conversation about what was what's going on with them. For one, I was right. Uh, I was right and wrong, I guess. I was right in that they did bench Sun uh, and, and they did bring in Richarlison to start which I was saying is it's time. We had just seen enough. I was wrong in that Sun came in and made a huge impact and played great and scored. And it makes me wonder about what his role should be because that's the, the second or third time this season where that's happened. And like, maybe that's what his role should be. Maybe he's one of these guys who's got a ton of of mileage on him over the past couple seasons. He was at the World Cup. Maybe he's affected by that. And maybe... 30-minute cameos in the second half when the other team is tired, and all of a sudden here comes Sun, co-golden boot winner from a year ago. Maybe that's the right move for him right now. So uh, I'm on board. He may not be, but I I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. No. Um, and if it's a way to ease him back into form, sure, why not do it? I, I was curious to the, the response from West Ham fans. They were so bitterly disappointed that West Ham did not give Tottenham more to do. Boy, West Ham, they started so well. I mean, I'd say the first eight to ten minutes, I was like, oh, here we go. Another one of these terrible first halves for Spurs. 
uh, where they dig themselves a hole and then they're going to have to dig out of it in the second. And it just after 10 minutes or so, West Ham just kind of it dissipated and they kind of lost the, the their run of it. And, you know, eventually it took Tottenham a little bit. But, boy, the first goal that Tottenham scored was gorgeous. God, that was a beautiful goal. Every mm. part of it. Um, the pass from Hoybier, Ben Davies played a great game, controlled it perfectly. And then the finish from Emerson Royale, um, it was just a great goal. And then Sun, like I said, coming off the bench, Kane to Sun. We've seen it so many times before. But yeah, I thought Tottenham played well. West Ham just, they were, especially in the second half, they just did, didn't offer anything. It just felt like once Tottenham scored that first goal, you could you could almost kind of say, well, all right, like we're good. It, you know that's not always the case in a one goal game where you're still you're edge of your seat didn't yeah. feel like that in this one just West, West Ham, Ham had not, nothing West Ham did not make this a derby and uh, and their fans will not forgive David Moyes for that um there was they had nothing they really had nothing yeah um and then in the other game we mentioned Newcastle and um and Liverpool uh important win for Liverpool important loss for Newcastle um I don't know if Newcastle maybe had an eye towards the weekend uh, well, the if they didn't, weekend, I mean, we're still a ways off from that a little bit, but yeah. well, if they didn't, they certainly have now. Um, considering that Nick Nick Pope's sending off, which is one of the more blatant sending offs in the history of the world, but seems to be needed to have been debated by Newcastle fans on on Twitter. Like, what are, what are the people talking about? I don't know. I thought it was red, but then again, I don't know anything anymore because oh, to me, I, no, I, I saw Carrer's handball in in Tottenham West Ham, and I've never seen a more blatant handball. But apparently, I'm I'm wrong. It wasn't given. Although I do think the PGMOL declared that an error by uh, the referee. So sure was, was right. Sure was an error. Um, but anyways, like so, Pope gets sent off, and uh, oh, the ripple effect of that one, JJ. Well, I didn't think for some mad reason that the red card would apply to the league cup final. That's the first thing that I just, it's one of those where, wait, does this apply? It does apply. Mm -hmm. And the second thing was uh, a friend of mine texted me and asked who's going to be in goal for Newcastle in, in the final. Now this is a Manchester United supporting friend. And I not being an Oracle or not knowing my, my goalkeepers thought, okay, uh, well, it can't be. It can't be. It's not Dubravka because he was at United already, so that that won't. He was albeit on the bench, but that that won't work. And he's back at Newcastle, and my brain starts worrying. And I just re- responded, I don't know, some reserve player or some twenty ones player or twenty threes or whatever it is these days. No, it's Loris Carius. Incredible. Incredible. So to I... to, th- to think of everything that needed to happen for him to be put back in this position. The Pope read Dubrovka cup tied Carl Darlow just loaned out to Hull during the January window. So now we get to the fourth rung of the ladder here. And, and it's um, curious. And so I got, I got this, I got this just after. So I, I, I sent the text to my friend and then I, I just, I forgot about it for a few hours. And then, and then I said, hang on. And I looked it up and my mind traveled through space and time back to Kiev. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I just all the horror of everything he did in that game, that just the total meltdown, like one of the most spectacular meltdowns in the history of professional sport on the biggest level. And uh, the, the article I read said he hasn't played a game since 2021. Oh, geez. Oh, God. Oh, my God, if you're a Newcastle supporter. Yeah, Joe Girardi has some thoughts. 
That's not what you want. That's not what you want. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and I like look, I um I don't hate him. What happened to him I, I see it I as would a, hope not. a personal tragedy. Well I did remember he did that video. Remember he did a personal In like, LA, right? Yeah. Not for anything. Not for any brand. Nobody was paying him a load of money. It was for himself. And like, you know, he's a good looking guy. Nicely tatted up, got a bit of a tan, muscular. And he's remember, he's running up hills in L.A., licking ice cream at some famous ice cream joint on the beach, stretching his muscles, working out. Three months after he coughed up two of the worst goals you've ever seen and handed Real Madrid the European Cup. He's out there vibing and doing it for the culture. This guy in a final. I mean, I hope he's had significant uh, therapy and stuff like that because... I don't know who said it, but it feels like 1-0 already to, to United. Well, he's got to view this as a chance to rewrite his story. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because the, the book's been written. I mean, hell, JJ, that performance was immortalized in our rap battle. It was. It was. You you had a killer line, which... It's hilarious. Just about as funny as Loris Carius. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I'm a big guy for a redemption story, but he needs not to be thinking about the redemption story because he just needs to remember how to play. Like he hasn't played in so long. This is, you don't get better at something by not doing it regularly. Oh, that's, that's a good point. That's deep. That's deep. Um, um, what else? Was bad, bad loss this? though for Newcastle. I mean, it's bad, understand- but- L- losing to Liverpool is not bad. That's, that makes sense. But I'm just saying with where things are heading right now, you know, we've talked about Arsenal hit, possibly hitting a wall. Um, I, I do wonder Newcastle are for whatever money's been spent there, not the oh, deepest team we've ever seen. Yeah, you know, so I do wonder a little bit about them as well. If you know this this battle for the top four, for however successful the season has been, if maybe at some point they're going to start running out of steam, maybe we're seeing that a little bit. Tottenham have now passed them and have moved into fourth place, which in itself is wild. I mean, we did, we went through chapter and verse last week with how ordinary the season has been for Tottenham, and here they are currently top four advancing in the FA Cup and down a goal, just one goal in the Champions League. So it's like, I guess you sign up for bad seasons like that. Um, but I wonder for Newcastle, are they going to be able to write this ship? Or is this kind of the beginning of maybe, you know, more of this? Well, look, there's there's nothing beyond the cup final and the, and the chance for silverware. The the vote that I did was was clear, Andrew. People, like Newcastle fans will give up top four for, for this trophy on Sunday. Liars, Simple. continue. Not liars. Simple as that, and makes total sense to me if you if you really think about this fan base. Um, could could they be about to tail off? Possibly. They they actually haven't been playing that well for a little while now. Yeah. So so maybe. Um, I should say though, in terms of players that haven't been playing well, big night for for Gagpo. Big night for Nunez. Uh, took their goals extremely well. Nice moves. Big night for Allison as well, who uh, who kept Liverpool. Um, kept Liverpool you know there was a couple of saves where you're like that's again that shows his value like he's he's so important to that team um and it was a night as well where we um we had cause to reflect about the terrible news about Christian Atsu oh my god uh, the players put wearing the black armbands and um again a bit of a bit of real life crashing into the the theater of uh of Premier League football just um, oh. terrible and his body was returned home um to his native Ghana to Accra uh, yesterday evening. So just um, terrible, terrible, terrible news. And um, and we thought for a while that on the podcast, what we were hearing, he was he was going to be okay, but um, 
Yeah, there we are. Awful. Yeah, it wound up not being the case. It's uh, God, what a horrible, horrible tragedy. Um, the the death toll is staggering. It's hard to even wrap your mind around. I mean, it's the kind of stuff where you feel like every person in Turkey is going to know someone who lost their life in this. Like it's, it's reaching that kind of status and it's, um, boy, it's awful. And for so many soccer fans, Christian Atsu will kind of be the, the face that you put to this tragedy. It's, you know, a, a, an incredibly familiar player to, to millions. And, you know, you think about his, his last moments alive, his last day alive, score deep in stoppage time, scoring a winner and the, and the joy of that. Um, and to have that day end like this, uh, you can't, I don't know, you can't even believe it. Life is so cliche, but God, life is just so, so fragile and so precious. You just, I don't know, you have to just enjoy every moment that, that you can. It's oh, horrible. I, I, nothing is promised. Honestly, like, and I know it's so cliched and you get hammered over the head on in- Instagram with, you know, live in the now, uh, you know, just breathe for every moment and, and mindfulness and all this stuff. But there's, there's something in it. Um, and when you see things like that, you just, you know, every morning you wake up, you should just be so thankful. It's horrible. Um, really yeah. horrible. Um, one other note that I did want to mention from this um, on the, the Liverpool side of things. Um, obviously this is a, a, an important week for them as they have Real Madrid in the champions league. Um, we'll be back later this week to, uh, to do another podcast where we'll talk more about what happened in that game, but in the build up to it, um, Jurgen Klopp, who I'll, I'll be, forthright and honest i mean i get on him a lot for his press conferences the moaner in chief you know all that stuff um but what i will say about klopp is that he is if nothing else he is genuine and he is honest and you have to appreciate that especially in moments like this when he's asked in the build-up about uh in the build-up to this game about vinicius and the treatment that vinicius has gotten and now, in fairness, I have not heard the exact way in which the question was worded. I've only heard Klopp's response. But the que- but what you're kind of led to believe is that the, the, the question is being asked in a way that it's almost leading Klopp to try to say something to the effect of that Vinicius in some way deserves this by some of his antics or his dancing or, you know, his flamboyance yeah. on the field, that in some way he's inviting the this racism and, and the treatment that he's receiving. And... I mean, as you would expect any sane person to do, Klopp obviously does not take the bait and almost seems, as any of us would, would, he seems completely puzzled that that question would even be asked. And he finishes his response by saying, what kind of person would I be to answer anything other than that, to say that him dancing invites racism? Like, of course not. It's JJ, I can't even, I mean, props to Klopp for answering it, for, for just having the absolute perfect tone in his answer just being almost confounded by it that someone would even think this but i i couldn't help but just be like completely blown away by the fact that someone actually felt that that question needed to be asked that vinicius dancing and celebrating goals that that in some way invites racism being hurled at him and death threats like what people think that i i can't even believe it i don't know what it is everyone dances and celebrates on the field i don't know what it is about this guy in particular other than his skin color yeah, and and there are people that are just in, enraged, racist people that are enraged by seeing him. I don't know. I guess if you're the opposition, seeing his joy at your expense, and and you go right to to his race in terms of how you want to get back at him, and it's disgusting. I I don't know. Prop, props to Klopp. I thought he handled it beautifully. 
Um, and whoever asked the question, again, I, I don't know the exact tone. Maybe that was the answer that they were hoping for. But the way it seemed was that they were leading him to try to agree that in some way, and Vinicius is inviting it. And if that's the case, good Lord, have your credential revoked. It's it's disgusting to even think that that's a, that that's a sane question to ask. That that's a, a rational thought to have, that him celebrating invites that. What a joke. Yeah, I, I, I've been pondering it today. And, and, you know, it comes from, I wonder, maybe maybe someone more um, articulate or intelligent than me, does it come from the place where, and I'm talking about the way the supporters act, um, where uh, white people are like, you know, they they want to see black people stay in their place. And their place is they want them to be humble and almost grateful. And then when they act with, when they do something that irks, the the opposition in this case Atleti fans often that it's well when they when they're racially abused well that's what you get for that's for you get for being uppity that's what yeah. you get for do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. does it come from that place where you know well yeah you know we'll we'll tolerate black people we'll you know but as long as they know as long as they know where they should be they stay in their box they act in a certain fashion and when they move outside of that and um and is that is that the twisted effed up mindset that that we're operating in here i'm sure that is part of it i i i'm sure you're you're right yeah that's it was it was such a foul thing to wake up to yeah. honestly when when you roll over and you see that this video has been uh, put out where Klopp, it was great to see Klopp's incredulity yeah Yes. But like the idea that it's 2023, uh, you know, again, here's my naivety, but that there's parts of the world where you have to be ex- explained that nothing justifies racial abuse. No, no, nothing. And good for Vinicius, by the way, as well. He tweeted uh, ahead of this one, insults continue, but the dancing as well. See you in Liverpool. Let's go Madrid. Good. Double down, triple down. I hope he comes up with a whole number. I hope the lights go out and a spotlight goes on him. He's got a whole Michael Jackson routine ready to go. <laughs> Well, maybe not Michael Jackson. I don't know. Bruno Mars. I don't know who's a good dancer. <laughs> Michael Flatley. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Flatley, you know. Oh, and imagine a production as long as Flatley's fleet, feet of flames. Yes, which I think Vinicius, like... a full Rockettes production. Oh, three hours. <laughs> right. Well, we're now in the 287th minute of, of stoppage time, thanks to uh, Vinicius' mid, mid-game performance. <laughs> <laughs> raised up on a on a Rihanna style plinth in, into the air. <laughs> I hope it happens. It's it's actually what I'm rooting for now. Oh, I, and if it if it if it pisses the right people off, yes. Oh man, I it, <laughs> I love that guy though. His refusal to kind of bend to any of this, he, like he's got he has struck the right tone too and the right attitude. He's I don't know. I'm I'm a fan. Always have been. I hope he keeps dancing as well. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Quickly, JJ, rounding out some of the Premier League stuff here. Um, boy, a great weekend for the bottom three. They all won. How about yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, and uh, the, I mean, we mentioned Southampton like, already, but Everton and Bournemouth too. I was glued to Everton and 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 Leeds. Absolutely glued to it. Um, it was it was another one of those um, big big Goodison days that the crowd were up for it. It's Leeds, an old foe, traditional foe. Um, it got testy. It was tight. I don't think Leeds created a ton again, which is a recurring theme. But um, what a go- it's this is not going to get goal of the season. 
But, and it's probably because of Messier's positioning that he gambles on the cross. But Seamus Coleman's goal that he meant, although he meant he meant it because he's old. I'll read you the quote. <laughs> is about as good a goal as you'll see in terms of just like opportunism. Um, the ball's going down. It's about. It's almost going to run out over the uh, the sideline. Coleman's bombing forward. There's no Everton player in the box, and so with the inside of his foot, he drives it into the net. As I said, Messi leaves his post exposed because he's assuming there's going to be a cross. Uh, this is what Coleman said about it. When I was down there, I suppose everyone is, was expecting the cross, but the way my hip was feeling, I couldn't wrap my leg around it. So I thought I'd just have a shot because I knew he'd be anticipating the cross. Thankfully, I caught it well. I wouldn't catch it like that if I tried again another 10 times. We got what we deserved, to be honest. And and Coleman as well, um, he, had a, he had a real back and forth with, uh, with Nanto. And... Um, Coleman is, I know he divides Everton fans. People think they should have moved on from him years ago. Fair enough, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, he's a heck of a competitor. An absolute heck of a competitor. And he's down there. And when Tyler Adams was getting involved, um, and 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 uh, a little bit of a schmazzle in the bottom left-hand corner. And uh, Coleman stuck in the middle of it too, you know. Just... I don't know. I've I've a ton of not just because he's Irish, not just because he played for Sligo Rovers, but partly that. Um, yeah. I've a, I've a ton of respect for the guy, and there's a list of managers out there that have all made him captain and have all trusted in him, including Carlo Ancelotti. So he's he's got something going for him still, even though his hip doesn't work. Um, on the lead side of it, I Ooh. wonder. I wonder if there's a little bit of. Like, okay, there's this, whether it's true or not, there's this thought process of, well, maybe Chelsea won't fire Potter because they're watching the example of Arsenal with Arteta. I wonder a little bit if, like, West Ham won't fire Moyes because they're watching the example of Leeds in that Leeds kind of fired a manager without really having a plan in place for how to replace him. And, like, uh, and so now it doesn't feel like it's going to look any better than it did when Jesse Marsh was there. In fact, it might get worse. I wonder if West Ham, that might be the case. If like, okay, well, we have Moyes. We've done well with him. We can fire him, but then what? We don't want to have that happen here, what happened at Leeds. I wonder if there's a little bit of that. I mean, there absolutely is. You're looking at uh, Carlos Corberan, Anthony Iraola, Arnie Slot, Marcelo Gallardo, all ruled out of the running. Um, Apparently, former ex-manager Alfred Schroeder emerged as the bookie's favorite went to Leeds, didn't like what he saw, and flew back to the Netherlands. And now they're looking at Rafa Benitez and Javi Gracia, Javi Gracia, the former Mm -hmm. Watford manager, who, why are they looking at him? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Absolute mess. All over the place. Um, We have an MLS preview coming up on Thursday as well. I know, this week is so busy. It's very busy, but we're previewing the, the start of, of MLS and we're going to have Max Bretos on the podcast. I'm just going to reveal that right now mm-hmm. to, to do it with us. Apple's new, one of Apple's newest hires. I can't he wait. Said, I love Max. He said something. He tweeted something and I'm going to call him to task on it. He said that Tyler Adams aggression and his fighting and everything. Now he needs to rein it in. I'm paraphrasing because it's not making a difference in his play. 
and that his play is falling away now. Is it bad that we've got the base of the US men's national team midfield in, in a in a team that's that's playing this poorly? It's not I mean not good. But. No, it's not I mean obviously it's not a good thing. Look, uh-huh. Weston McKinney only just got there. I'm not ready to like make any big statement on his time at Leeds. Um but yeah, I mean Tyler Adams again, a lot of mileage there. That guy famously runs more than anyone in this league and at the World Cup for the US. Um so yeah, maybe maybe it's not crazy to think that there would be a little tail off in his play. Brendan Aronson, the same thing happened. He scored today for the, for Leeds under twenty once. He did, Brendan yeah. Aronson. And after coming off the bench on Sunday. So they're really I, I think they're they're trying to get as many minutes into them into him as possible as possible so he comes into the side now. Yeah. Um Oh, Leeds are a mess, man. Yeah. Uh, but for Everton, they they move out of the bottom three. They're up to 16th now. Six points from nine. Boy, that that bottom, that relegation race, there's so many teams involved in it. I guess that's always the case at this stage in the season. But, God, it feels like it's going to be thrilling. I mean, some big, like, big names of this of this game. Everton, Leeds, Southampton, who have been up for, for a number of years now, rooted to the bottom. I mean, this is... It's going to be fascinating, and uh, I have a feeling there's still a lot to come in that uh, in that race. Teams are going to be in the bottom three. They're going to be out of it the next week. They're going to be back in it. It's going to be stressful for all those fan bases involved. There's no no question about that. Um, let's see a couple other things, JJ, to uh, to get to here. One more oh, Premier no, no, League no. thing. Before you before oh. you go anywhere, you're not getting away without playing a something that the 90 minute uh, toffees or someone posted and a, and a listener sent to us. Someone's made a Sean Dyche grime track. Hey. Back of the net. This is England. No cheeky tacker. Knock it up top to the two attackers. Four four two with a crunching tackle. We'll play long ball. We have to. This is England. No cheeky tacker. It doesn't matter how we get the victory. It's just about making history. Listen, these years of misery. Did you think at any point that Dyche had actually did the done the vocals for that? No, not a second. Was really? I supposed to? Hmm. I don't know. Oh, you got fooled by that? Not fooled. But I thought, wow, whoever they've got, that's a that's a pretty good likeness to die. Spared than mine. Not by much. Yours is great. I think don't, it's good. Don't sell yourself short. You're better than that. Thanks, man. I needed that today. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to help. Um, All right. What's next? Now can we? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, I wanted to mention the U.S. women, JJ, uh, narrowly uh, winning over the weekend 1-0. And it's Mallory Swanson again. And you you watch this level of play. You know that that position for the U.S. women is crowded. There's a, they've got a lot of good strikers on this team. And I wonder if she's having a little bit of a leveling up moment here. Uh, she scored in five straight games for the U.S. women. She's got six goals in four games in 2023 so far. Um, it's it's going well. Uh, Sandra Herrera has a good article up at CBS Sports talking about Swanson's efficiency, possibly papering over some other concerns for this team. Um, which I found interesting because this this win was narrow. Um, they've had some of those recently. Uh, she says, whether due to player rotations or stale tactics, the attack has at times been stagnant. The team has recorded just five. The team recorded just five shots against Japan on Sunday. Their fewest shots in a game since August 2016 when they faced France. That's a long time. Twenty-seven yeah. years ago, it's been since they've had that few shots in a game. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2023, Swanson's ability to create magic out of limited moments has earned the team results and kept the buzz at bay on the team's deficiencies. That's that's a little bit concerning. 
that I, that thought process that, you know, individual moments of brilliance from a player who's in form are maybe papering over some cracks that with a world cup on the horizon, uh, you feel like that's got to get sorted now. Otherwise those things are going to get exposed. I mean, I know Japan only had two shots on target and the U S only had two shots on target, but in terms of, of, of total shots, Japan had 15, the U S had five. Mm-hmm. Um, and Japan almost had as many passes. Like, I Japan are a good side. It just it there's something not quite there with this side um at the moment. Uh and Andonovsky, like you said, he's got he he's gotta kind of figure this out fairly quickly. And look, some of that might be okay in that it's a little bit of a transition time for this team from a personnel standpoint. They're dealing with some injuries as well. Um, especially in the midfield, they've got players who are still kind of returning up front, which is kind of given Swanson this opportunity. Um, and also if you look at the calendar, like their league is just returning. So it's mostly players who are kind of still in their preseason form and working their way back in. Um, so there are like, there are reasons where I could see the timing of this tournament, not exactly aligning with the U S being at their absolute best, which you hope they will be come the summer. Um, which is very much on the table. Um, but I guess if if you're looking ahead to this World Cup and thinking, all right, well, there's the U.S. and then there's everyone else, I, I don't think you can say that. You can't say that. No, I don't think so either. I was going to make a joke that um, to ensure her spot in the team, uh, Mallory Swanson, or Mallory Pugh changed her name to Swanson um, just to make up, uh, oh, here, here's this young, fresh talent coming in. We've never heard of her, Mallory Swanson. But um, but that joke needed to be workshopped much, yeah. much more. And uh, so I take it back. Explain it a little more. I'd like to go deeper on it. She's gone in. So uh, why would the name change equate to her being on the team and Mallory Pugh suddenly not? I mean, if I really wanted to work on it, it would have uh-huh. been, uh, you know, she would have come in wearing a top hat and a monocle and a disguise. Yeah. And everyone would have gone, oh, who are you? I'm Mallory Swanson. Uh I'm a young, hip player that's fresh on the block, and I'm about to shake things up. Oh, you must definitely start. It didn't work, okay, is what I'm saying. You know, I should have given it more time. Anyway, what's next? I need more on the joke. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please let me out of this exquisite agony. I just need more, right? I don't know. It was something to do with the disguise. Hey, the only way to get into that team is if you change your name. And now I realize it really doesn't work. Uh, Let's see. So Mallory Swanson having a moment. Speaking of people having a moment, JJ, Marcus Rashford. Uh, I can't can't do any more Rashford talk. He literally can't stop scoring. He can't. I'm pleased for him. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, He hits the Tories. Uh, That that to me is the the biggest bonus of him. (laughs) Since uh, the World Cup, JJ, oh, Jesus. Uh, Rashford has 20 goal involvements, 16 goals, four assists. That's just since the World Cup. In, in Europe's top five leagues, the next closest is Benzema with 13. Rashford has seven more. Um, to put it in even more perspective, like just if I threw out a name, if I just asked you, like, who's the most informed player in Europe right now? I think a lot of people would say Victor Osiman at Napoli. Yeah. Uh, he's been on another planet for them. He has 10 goal involvements since the World Cup. Rashford has doubled him up. I mean, this is, I said it last week, and I'll say it again now. I'm not saying he's the best player in the world, but on form right now, there's no one better. It was funny. There's no one better. 
It was funny. I was on my phone during the the United Leicester game. By the way, Leicester started the game excellently. Should have scored except from David De Gea, and then like yeah. five, he made a brilliant save. Five minutes later, Rashford scores. Um, and Ten Hag, oh Ten Hag, after the game, absolutely trashed his team for the way they played in the first half. This is such managerial tactic speak. Do you think so? Yeah, oh. I I do. I don't know. He just seems like. He's, He's got really to keep wants... them in check. Yeah, he has maybe. to. Maybe. But they were bad in the first half, but they were brilliant in the second half. So I guess it's 3 0. I mean, yeah, no, they were. Um, I should some... say, though, you mentioned De Gea. Um, I saw he equaled uh, Peter Schmeichel's club record for clean sheets 180. Yeah. With this one. But De Gea's got to be getting up into, into Schmeichel territory in terms of lo- um, longevity at the club. I mean, Schmeichel joined in 91, 92 for United and then was done by 99. So that's what... Like, oh, I it, bet De Gea... We should, De Gea, we should just know this. De Gea's, De Gea's there, been there that long. 19, De Gea's there since like 2012. Yeah. So that's over a decade. I still, still He was there with Fergie. Yeah, he was. He was. And he looked... He, my God, when, when you see him when he was there with Fergie, he looked even more of a boy... Yeah. I mean, he's a he look. He's got that boy look about him, permanent boy. But um, what a child he looked like then. But uh, someone someone tweeted us. Uh, would you compare compare like there's something Henri esque about Rashford right now? And um, I said no. His the way he finishes isn't as clinical or as smooth as Henri. It's very clinical right now, but it's a different type. Like Henri favored the inside of the foot for those finishes. Um, and then he just right after I said tw- I tweeted that back. He goes off in a slaloming run that reminded me of Thierry Henry, albeit the finish was was not not like how Henry would finish it. Yes, Marcus Rashford is playing excellently. Now, now I will say I'll say this though, so because I I don't I mean I know I brought it up. I don't want it to be all about Rashford. It feels like that's what's happening on this show lately because he's just been in such scorching ridiculous form. Mm. Um, but but this needs to be pointed out. So whoscored.com, they do a great job with player ratings. They do them for every match. Um, and so for this game, for Manchester United, the um, the highest rating for a Manchester United player this season came from this game, but it was not Rashford. Now, oh. he, was, he was an 8.77, which is fantastic. But a 9.88 was given to Bruno, Bruno Fernandes, Off. yep, who finished with two assists and a ludicrous... Nine key passes. And when you see that, I've seen other statistics where no one has contributed more passes to Rashford this season than Bruno Fernandez. No one has contributed more assists to Rashford this season than Bruno Fernandez. It takes a village, JJ. It takes a village. Now, I'm not saying Marcus Rashford is right, not Hillary phenomenal. <laughs> it's, he's not, I'm not saying he's not phenomenal on his own right. I mean, he's scoring these goals. He's putting himself in position. But I do think that every great goal scorer has somebody who's helping him along the way. What, you know... I think Bruno Fernandes is, is being that guy right now um, for Marcus Rashford. And I think quietly, because Rashford is stealing headlines, I think quietly Bruno Fernandes is having an unbelievable season for United. Um, um, and I think that's I think his role for this team has done a lot in, in w- with other guys as well. Rashford, I would say even Luke Shaw and the job he's done this season quietly. Um, how far are you away from getting a Rashford tattoo on your back? Pretty close, I'd say. What, yeah, what would it be? Would it just be his face? Oh, his face. Yeah, I want his face okay. smiling. Just that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. I'll, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. A uh, couple other things, JJ. Um, so let's go to the Bundesliga quickly. Bayern's loss combined with Union Berlin's draw combined with Borussia Dortmund's win equals we have a three-way tie atop the Bundesliga. This it- is fantastic. This is an unbelievable title race. Um, Opta Franz, the cousin of Opta Joe, um, tweeted in uh, in FC Bayern, Borussia Dortmund, and Union Berlin. Three teams are tied on points at the top after match day twenty one of the Bundesliga. The first time this has happened at such a late stage of the season since the intro- introduction of the three points per win. Unbel- unprecedented. This is great, and I wouldn't mind. But like Freiburg are only three points back in fourth. And uh, Leipzig are only a point back from Freiburg in fifth. It's it's so tight, and I mean, the and we're so gap... not accustomed to this in this league. No, the biggest gap is between Eintracht Frankfurt and Wolfsburg. Uh, Frankfurt are in sixth, and Wolfsburg are in second. Now, someone has made a request, Andrew, mm-hmm. and because this is a new era for us in this podcast, um, we have to do the things that people want us to do. We are we weren't doing that before. We definitely well, you know what I mean. But if we if someone puts in a reasonable request, I feel as if we should we should meet that. What about an in the club for Union Berlin? How cool would that be? I mean, up until three years ago, they weren't even the most famous team in Berlin. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it. I will set that up for next week because the um the behemoth that is MLS is is going to squeeze out a lot of things this week. I'm so I will take that as an excited sigh. Yes. One of my one of my ways of showing excitement is to sigh. So I'm I'm gonna set up Union Berlin uh in the club next week. Uh we're gonna get German up in this club. Up to France. Um it should be noted too, in addition to Union Berlin, um Borussia Dortmund, only club in Europe to have won every match of uh twenty twenty three so far. I think in Europe's top 10 leagues, I think is the stat I saw. Eight games, eight wins. And they've needed every single one of those points. They're right back in the fight. Fun. I mean, really fun to have the, those two huge brands in Bayern and, and Borussia Dortmund and then kind of a, a fun underdog story in Union Berlin. Yeah, but definitely don't call them brands, though. They are huge brands, global oh. brands even. Mm. Marcel brands. <laughs> that is a person. Um, let's see, JJ, I believe you have a mailbag before you, before you get to that though, I have one thing that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm having another knife and fork burrito moment. Oh God. (laughs) I mean, those moments where I've done something one way, my entire life, assuming that everyone did only to find out potentially that I'm horribly, horribly wrong. Is this... and I need to know where you stand on this. So let All me right, explain. It's not, you've been doing something horribly wrong for a long time. This is not bedroom related, is it? No, but close. Oh. Oh. Jeez. <laughs> okay, go uh, on. Bathroom related. Ah. So here's here's my thing. So there's another podcast that I love that I've listened to for years. It's a Sixers podcast. The Rights to Ricky Sanchez, it's called. And they, had, they did something on it this week where they talked about um, – I don't know. I don't remember how it came up. But they talk about showering and and shampooing when you take a shower. Yeah. So for literally my entire life, every single shower that I've ever taken in my entire life, I have shampooed my hair. Every right. single shower I've ever taken. And they talked about on their podcast that 
they don't like and so like the, once every couple showers or i forget exactly what the stats were but mm-hmm. but they were like you're not supposed to and i thought what mm-hmm. get out of here so i went to one group text and asked my buddies on that one and a couple were like no i only shampoo two or three times a week another guy was like yeah like every other um i went to another group text my one buddy was like once a week another friend of mine said he hadn't put shampoo in his hair in 2023 yet which is seems uh, and so so i came to find out across these group texts that i was i'm literally the only person among my group of friends that shampoos every day and i can't believe it it's like changed my world view everything is is different now i i I was obviously so wrong on this no one else does it and it's apparently not good for you to do it no Um, apparently it's better for your hair if you if you shampoo once a week and then on the the next like depending on how many times you like you should shower regularly depending on your work i do that your workout schedule right but you don't have to wash your hair every time. You can you can let the warm water. Now again, I never knew this. I've shampooed if you're, if you're, every shower I've ever taken until this week. JJ, look at my hair. I didn't shampoo today. What do you think? It looks good. It looks lustrous. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that it does more of what I want it to do. Well, I don't know that's if that's the, the natural oils. The natural oils stay in it a lot longer if you don't shampoo it. Now the other side to that is. If you use product in your hair, any kind, I don't. you probably need to use a little bit of shampoo to help remove that from your shower. But um, generally speaking, you don't know. You don't have to put shampoo in every time. So uh, you don't? No. No, I don't. I feel like there's just so many life lessons that I just never learned. I wasn't taught. I don't know if that's on my parents. Oh, man. There's a lot of stuff I wish I'd known that I learned a bit later, some of which I can't get into. But um, huh. yeah. Save that for caught off after dark, I guess. Which is a pod we got to drop. I I would say, I would say I was a more regular shampooer, and then I I realized. But now the shampoo I use now, I, I've switched to this. Um, it's got no alcohol in it. It has no smell on it or anything. I get it at CVS it, because apparently, like anything with uh, perfume in it, has a bit of alcohol in it, and that can irritate your scalp, and it can just not be good generally. So uh, yeah. Um, I I don't think you should be surprised. Don't don't be hard on yourself for this revelation. I came on it a little bit later than you did. Okay, you mean earlier? Earlier than you did. Excuse me. Yeah. So okay, I just found it interesting because I never knew that this was happening. That there just, were people showering and not shampooing. Now I know, and now I'm one of them. Amazing. Just remember to just remember to hit all the key the key smell points. Okay. I know how to shower. I'm in a I'm a great showerer. In fact, I I found out I was too good at it. I, I'm obsessed with, with smelling. You've seen me before. I know. You come into the, you used to come into the studio with, with like a deodorant in hand. Like with, weird. Uh, not weird. I just slept all the way from like Midtown because I had to get my steps in, my walks in. That's another I'm a I'm an obsessive walker. It's it's bad. Um and uh, and like I come into the studio and I couldn't I couldn't allow anyone to have me smell bad. I remember the, I remember the time Bill Burr was in studio. Yeah, and I was meeting him and I'm like obsessed with Bill Burr. Like he's one of my favorites. So I said I have to smell good for Burr. Yeah, I can't have Burr thinking oh there's a old whiff of groin off Devani there. Can't have it. Yeah, you would appear in one of his uh, bits after that. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. This Irish guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I didn't want that. Uh, let's just hope he doesn't steal your joke from earlier, though. Well, 
I I think that joke was so niche that I mean it's career it would be career ending for him and possibly me. Uh, do we have a mailbag? We have a mailbag. Uh, let's let's get to it, Andrew. Uh, Newman, head of the animals, who oof, he took some crossfire from uh, from uh, Zito Madu. Newman um, did. Oh yeah. Zito made a comment about how he really didn't like Sun, and uh, he was about to engage in a well, thread. Zito about is a a diehard Arsenal fan, I believe. He, he does, but he had like kind of specific reasons why he hated hates um min Son. I don't know that I want to hear this. Oof. And uh no, no, he see he parses it out well, but I don't think Newman waited for that. Newman just hit the old quote tweet and uh and said, uh, imagine being this weird. <laughs> and Zito I mean to say he went in two footed. He went in two footed and then attacked every member of Newman's family afterwards. <laughs> it was Oh my god. It was brutal. It was brutal. It's a fairly benign response. Imagine being this like that's not I've seen some vicious things said on Twitter. I would not chart that up as one of them for someone to go two footed and then take on their family. Um I'm gonna send it to you afterwards. I have too much respect for Newman and I don't want to share in his trauma, but um if it was done to me, I'd be uh, oh jeez. I'm I'm team Newman on this. I don't even know the full exchange. And in Zito's writing, some of his stuff can be so so gentle and kind and thoughtful. And this was um this was this was red mist Twitter. What the hell? That's so weird. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I still respect both men hugely, but uh but concern. Concern now. And I, I hope there's some way for a rapprochement between the two parties, but I don't wow. know. Anyway. Why yeah. am I talking absolute garbage? I don't know. I don't know. Get to the segment, JJ. It's midnight. Clearly, he you says, want to extend Christ, this till two in the morning. Oh, my life is is just fading away. I, I'm losing hours of sleep talking about Zito Madu and Newman. Okay. Uh, so Ernie Ernie Stewart, um, who is uh, leaving his role as the what was his role? <laughs> he sporting was the director, right? Yeah, sporting director for us for the U.S. men's national team. Um, and he spoke to uh, Sports Illustrated, Illustrated, and Henry Bushnell. And um, well, I just got Henry, to... those are two separate things. He spoke to Brian Strauss at Sports Illustrated and Henry Bushnell at Yahoo. Okay, that's what happened. Yeah, right. get it right. Yeah, well, we have to get Bushnell right for you, or there'll be oh good. You know how you feel about that. He's In a fact, great if... writer. I don't know why that's that's ripe to be made fun of. Apparently, on this show, just because you, you Bushnell and Rashford in some kind of a weird multi yeah, go on. relationship anyway uh ernie stewart had this to say uh so this was on approaching managers uh for the u.s men's national team job uh quote i read this stuff and i think to myself i'm the guy who knows about who we reached out to and who we didn't reach out to stewart said i can say through this review process that nobody's been talked to nobody so Approaches to the Zidane, any of that stuff was all the stuff of fantasy. On um, on the values for a new coach, uh, decisions are grounded in data and a long-term perspective. Stewart also believes coaches, especially at the national team level, must be a cultural fit. Harlow Cohn, Batson and the Federation Board seem unlikely to appoint someone who represents a sharp deviation from those values. So the template that hired Greg Burhalter will be what hires the next coach, guys. So prepare yourself for someone in that kind of genre manager. And that would be not Jose. Well, we'll see. A whole new 
regime is entering. No, hang on. Uh, if you read the piece, uh, there's a sense from from Stewart that that kind of the the more is uh, the norms that he operated under will not be changing with the new appointment. Uh, this was interesting, too, on how the Reina incident has been handled. Quote, in this whole discussion about what happened during the World Cup, I view it actually differently in the sense that we have something that happened. It was dealt with and we moved on from it. That's as simple as I can put it. And that says something about the culture from players to staff. We got through it. We weren't the only ones where something happened. You just deal with it. And it got to a place where Gio was playing again. And then, and then straight after this. Then do things happen later on that should not have? Agreed, totally. Which is, we know what that is. That's Greg flapping his gums to the corporate bigwigs. Um, so yeah, I, those were the quotes I took out of it that I found interesting. Um, in, in Bushnell's column about it, uh, he does reference here, um, Cindy Parlocone called the current sporting leadership void a, quote, clean canvas. I don't know. That's that's something that leads me to believe a little bit that there will be new ideas entering um, uh, entering the room. Yeah, but I mean, again, I'm I'm dealing in, in in terms I don't really love myself. But when they talk about values not changing, that would suggest not Jose Mourinho, not Marcelo Bielsa, not someone like that. And it would it does ring the manager closer to home would you think um some of his thoughts too just on the complexities of that job in this country i found interesting he he doesn't really make any secret of the fact that it's hard here to do this job um reading here from from the bushnell one he said but uh that u.s soccer the sports national governing body only uh hang on i'm trying to find it here he's Stewart says, honestly, I'll say a very difficult part in the United States because we have a very um, complex landscape. Uh, he goes on to say, at a club, if you want to change something tomorrow, you just tell everybody that you're changing it. Here, you need to convince people. Huh. Interesting. I would like some, I would love an example. Like, what? what does he mean? By the way, one thing that came through in the Strauss piece is this man is Dutch. Well, it's where he grew up. Yep. His mother is Dutch. He's he's like I know you can be two things, but his Dutchness is is clear to me. And and the minute he could find the job PSV he considers a huge job. The minute that came up and that he could go back, he went. And oh. it, it suited with his family, uh, because you know, he was a he was apart from them for long periods as well. And also the way the World Cup finished. I think I I think he felt an emptiness after the World Cup. Maybe, That's although I, I kind of took from it a little bit that he, he felt like they did a, a good job here. Definitely, but he felt like, okay, oh, that's over now. And there was a disappointment and he looked to fill that void over Christmas. And by the end of Christmas, with the job coming up and the, and the sense of it's time to go, it all kind of coagulated for him and he left. Um, I uh, thought his his thoughts on Bearhalter and, and his performance as manager was interesting to me. He said uh, somebody should be judged on the results that they get and the process they, that they put in place. And as I've reviewed it with him, Bearhalter, that's the piece that I was really happy with over the past four years. Um, 
he goes on to talk about this team saying the best part about anything is when I get to the world cup, uh, was amongst that group. There was a really strong feeling in this group that they could win against anybody. That is something that I think is so powerful. And that's something that didn't happen just overnight. That's something that Greg and his staff worked on for a long period of time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 he said, he said in the, uh, Strauss piece. Yeah. If you told me that, you know, this was the way we're going to play. This is the way we'd set up. This was the development and over over the period of time in the style of play, he would have signed up for that. So he was happy with things. He was pleased with things, um, but now he's gone. So there we go. Yeah. Um, I made a, during our, our whole art conversation last week, mm. we were to start talking about Man City and I talked about how great Kevin De Bruyne was. And so, and I said the, the the I made up the word De Bruynica instead of Guernica. Yeah. And uh, and wow, um, our our animals are just so talented. They really are. Uh, someone made De Bruynica, and that someone was the Tar Heel Texan. He made De Bruynica. Like he went. I saw it. It's incredible. It's it is absolutely. It's amazing. I. I ne- Part of me just wants to throw this on a T-shirt and sell it to the masses, um, but I don't have the copyright for that. Um, Tar Heel Texan told me, "Is there uh, copyright for for that picture?" Well, that's a, I don't know how to work because he said I used one of the AI image generators. Took me a bit to figure out a good combination of inputs to get what I envisioned. The first image was the best and most like Guernica, but I like the insanity of the two other images too. They're they are really they're cool. In a kind of a mad way, like the third. If I were image, a Manchester City fan and somebody yeah. slapped that on a shirt, and I listened to this podcast, I'd I'd wear that. Yeah, I'd absolutely wear that. Which one though? Image three, two, or one? Oh, I thought I only saw one of them. No, one is one is the one is like really, like feels like Guernica. Two a little less so, and then three is like Guernica on on acid, because there appears to be a cat tackling De Bruyne. It's very good, though. It really is very good. Um, oh, image one. Definitely image one. That's yeah, the yeah, most yeah. Guernica of the three. Yeah. It's it's super cool. Anyway, yeah. People don't know what we're talking about now, but yeah. No, get on the red, white. Yeah. Go at uh, caught offside pod or forward slash caught, caught offside pod. Is that it? What do you mean? Are we done? No. Oh. No, but that's what you should get on. And then there was art for beginners. Uh, so Moondog. Uh, on on Reddit, who is an, a legitimate like, let me let me get his uh, let me get his post here. Ugh. So Moondog says, "I'm an art and design professor." Andrew mentioned he doesn't connect with the art strongly. Something I usually ask my students is, "Name your ten favorite musicians." They quickly name off ten. Then I ask them to name off ten of their favorite artist designers. Struggling for three after three or four, I could be totally wrong, but I think maybe Andrew doesn't know that much art. And that is why he thinks he doesn't connect with it very strongly. Mm-hmm. On top of that, art like design, like cinema, has its own language. And you have to look and read about it a bit to start developing that understanding. And then on top of that, there are so many different mediums that each carry their own conversations and value systems. So he decided to make a list here to help soccer lovers get into art. Okay. Typically, video and images are a good entry point. So here we go. So get on. Like he's oh my, he's putting so much stuff here. Um and 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 some of it is like, uh, for example, uh, Philip uh, Pereno and Douglas Gordon, Zidane, a twenty first century uh, century portrait, uh, things like that. 
And um, yeah, very, very good. Very creative. If you want to get into art, get on the Reddit there. And finally, uh, back to reality, unfortunately, uh, Danny in South Carolina. How are Manchester United supporters supposed to feel about this potential Qatari takeover? I'm extremely conflicted. Uh, conflicted. Can I tell you what I'm conflicted about? What? This is, another, again, I'm putting myself out there. This is an honest question. Hmm. Like, for, I'm kind of almost like taking a straw poll now of our listeners. I want, I, I want feedback here. We haven't really spoken much about this, whether it be no. Liverpool's sale, which now appears to be off, or the Tottenham rumored sale, which now appears to be off, or Manchester United's sale, which appears to be on and could involve Qataris. Um, we have not talked a ton about this. I don't, my gut is that I don't know how much our audience wants us to go deep on ownership changes and things like that. If they happen, <sighs> And it is a state takeover, like you know, with Newcastle, we covered that in depth. Um, then I think you can go deep. But the rumored sale of clubs is that a thing that what, that fans are really that fans really want to hear? This about? is more. I mean, this is more than rumors, Andrew. This is the biggest club in the world about to be sold to a nation state to a you know royalty. I'm not saying any. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm genuinely curious because I don't know. Like if it were me, and like Jeffrey Lurie suddenly said the Eagles were for sale. Um, like okay, like what do I do with that information? Who am I rooting for to buy them? Like I don't, I, don't, I just don't know. Uh, yeah, assuming but, that they're not going to move the team, which doesn't happen in European soccer, so that's not really a concern. Um, like I, I don't really, know, I don't know. Like it's just for me, my I guess my interests. Uh, I shouldn't say my interests are more on the field because I find there's so many things we've covered off the field, Super League stuff, and you know. We did do Newcastle at length, and you know we've talked about Man City's ownership at length. I just don't know all these rumored sales. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I just can't. Well, well I can't tell if our if the audience is interested in that. It's not a rumor though. It's like there's two. There's been two bids that were lodged. There was a deadline last Friday, and the two bids have been uh, a shake from from Qatar, Sheikh Yassim, and then there's um, Jim Ratcliffe, the billionaire uh former chemicals uh no current chemicals man <laughs> so th these are the two people that are into to take over the biggest club in the world i mean i don't know how people can't care about it um they do care about it and they're talking about it and we're kind of going through the i mean the, the one thing i don't like about it first of all and, and this is lazy but i just i just hate the stuff i have to listen to you know i hate people saying well, what's the difference between them and the Glazers? And they say it with a straight face. And the Glazers, you know, the club is in bad order under the Glazers. I'm like, yeah, but it's like it's Manchester United. They don't have to be sold to a royal family with with terrible human rights records. Like, it's not the Glazers or that. And I don't care how bad the Glazers were. When you add it up, they are not as bad as the things these people stand for. And then I'll get, well, all billionaires are bad. Probably. But like I always, but there say, are there are degrees of bad. Of course, it, it, there's there's a difference between, um, a, you know, a a a a pinch to the cheek and a broken jaw, you know. And I I think Manchester United is kind of such an important entity that it it cannot be owned by by um, by a royal family. It's part. It's I I I believe what Gary Neville said. I believe what other people said about the sale of Newcastle. 
um, and about the Super League. I believe that these clubs, particularly clubs like Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton, um, Stoke, Burnley, they're part of, of culture. They're part of the culture of the country, they're com- mm-hmm. but they're community entities and they should have protection orders on them. And and they shouldn't be able to be bought by by just anyone, and um, and this to me is just, I mean, uh, I, people know how I feel about Qatari ownership, about Middle Eastern ownership in general, when it comes from royal families, and and people who who are uh, who are at the heads of repressive regimes who are elected based on bloodlines, and th- it's it's wrong, it's completely wrong, and. Um, but I'm not going to tell United supporters how to feel. I mean, some of them already. I think they're just they've taken the view. This is how this is how you 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 compete. And then I I was taken taking the task. I wouldn't say taking the task, but I got something from the 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 sports washing playlist of a supporter who's happy for United to be taken over by 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 Qatar and is justifying it by saying, "Well, you know, so, such arrogance by you to speak about." Uh, Qatar when look at what the British Empire did for so many hundred years like that to me is just a non sequitur like geez like come on yeah um I agree I I I would agree with you um again my question was more just a a matter of I guess you're going to get you're going to get United supporters particularly the online ones Andrew and they're going to say oh yeah well nobody cares about this uh uh, Andrew's right. No one cares about this because they're quite happy to be taken over. Same as Newcastle supporters were. I'm not, and um, and I don't. Even, I'm not even a United supporter. S- nation states should not own football clubs. Period. End of. It sounds like the, the the Qatari group is the favorite in this because they'll give the most money. Uh, that simple. Yeah. That simple. Yeah. And that's that's the end of the podcast. Oh wow. Oh boy. Yep. Huh. Hmm. Where does one go from here? I'll tell you this. We have another podcast later this week um, where we'll look at, of course, the Champions League action. And we will, of course, get you ready for the start of MLS as a new season begins this weekend. Uh, Full slate. What a weekend it is. Uh, New team debuting. Uh, You've got the uh, El Trafico at the Rose Bowl. Uh, you should have huge crowds on hand in, in Charlotte, um, Atlanta. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a big season coming up for the league. Obviously, the whole new TV deal kicks in, so there's going to be a lot of curiosity over that um, and how that goes. So fascinating stuff. We'll talk, like JJ said, to Max Bretos about it um, later this week. So keep your eyes open for that podcast as well. This was fun. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Great Champions League action coming up. During the week, JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 